This semester, we are going to be going through the book of Ecclesiastes. We're starting that next week. Um, yay, finally. But what we've been doing to sort of start the new year off is look at some basic questions that all of us ask. And I in no way make the assumption each week that everyone here would consider yourself a Christian. I definitely don't make that assumption. Um, you're really, we're so happy that you're here. If you don't consider yourself a Christian or you're not sure where you are, um, we're thrilled that you're here and know that this is a, a great place for you to process through who Jesus is and what the Bible says. But the questions we've been looking at are questions which I think we all are asking. And so last time we looked at what do I, what do, I do with my guilt and the fact that I have guilt. And tonight, what I want to look at together is this idea of how do I know how to live the right lifestyle, you know, or like how, how, do, how do I know how to live the right way? How should I live? Um, because I think we live in a really weird moment where like there's really no lifestyle decision that you can make that's okay. You know, like any lifestyle choice you make, somebody is going to be mad at you about it or think that it's terrible and wrong. Um, there was a, a video that was going around like two days ago, so now it's super old and nobody cares anymore. Um, but did you guys see it? It was like um, why it's socially unacceptable to do anything. Did you guys see that video? It's like, it's like a bunch of people that, are, that have the day off of work, and so they're sitting around and they're thinking about what they should do with the, with the day. And so the, the girl, she's like, oh, there's a new Woody Allen movie out. We should go see that. And the guy's like, I don't know. He's been accused of some pretty bad stuff. And she's like, yeah, 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 definitely. We should do that. And he's like, well, March Madness is, is you know, coming on. Like, maybe we should watch some college basketball. She's like, I don't know how I feel about the NCAA exploiting, you know, college students that are, like, really risking their bodies for no pay. They're like, okay, well, maybe, maybe we should go to lunch. How about McDonald's? It's like, I don't know, it promotes childhood obesity. It's like, I, what about grilled chicken? Have you seen the cages uh, that, that they're in? Or, oh, well, salads. Well, that's obviously exploiting migrant farmers. Um, quinoa. Can we do quinoa? Ah, massive carbon footprint. Uh, can't do that. Well, tofu, well, I genetically modified soybeans. Um, you know, so finally one guy's like, why don't we just go back to my house and watch Seinfeld? It's like, not a lot of diversity in that cast. Um, it's like, there's nothing that, that we can do. No light, like, can't even decide where to go eat lunch without having some, like, awkward feeling about is this the right thing or the wrong thing. And that's pretty extreme, but I think that, that all of us would say, I would imagine, that... We haven't arrived with who we want to be, that there are things about ourselves that we want to change. There are, pl- there are places in our lives that we'd like to grow and see ourselves, you know, we, at our, hopefully all of our five-year plans involve, you know, something different than what's going on exactly right now. Hopefully in five years you're not at RUF. Um, and you can, you can choose to, like, to pursue growth and change in a lot of ways. You do CrossFit, um, you go to counseling. Maybe you came to RUF. Because you're like, I need to change in some way. You could do a juice fast. Um, there's all kinds of ways that you could change. But what I want to do tonight is look in the, in the Bible, in John chapter 15, and see what God has to tell us, what Jesus has to tell us about what true change looks like. And uh, you can read along in your uh, handout, or if you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you don't have a Bible, and you would like to have a Bible, um, we have some on the back table that you can just take with you for free. Uh, there's, there's also some books back there that you can check out. So we're going to be in John chapter 15. Jesus is comparing our changing 
and he, uh, to, to a vine. He's using this image of a vine. Think about a vineyard. Uh, this vine is making grapes that you would make wine from. So let's read here in John chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Listen, this is the word of God. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that, that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. It's the word of the Lord. Let's ask his blessing. Father, we uh, thank you for your word. We thank you that you show us who you are in your word, and that by your word you show us who we are. And we've read it, and that is sufficient for you to use in our hearts to draw us to yourself. But Lord, would you now be with us as we consider your word together. Show us Jesus, we pray, in his name. Amen. Uh, so what I want you to leave with tonight as we're thinking about how can I change, can I change, um, is that real, true, radical change and growth is possible. It's real. You can change. But the only way for that to be real, true, lasting change is if you are united with Jesus. Okay? The way that we grow and change is by being united with Jesus. And last week... We looked at a big theological word called justification. This week, we're going to look at another big theological word called sanctification. Justification was a one-time thing. It is a one-time declaration where God says, everything is okay between me and you because of Jesus. Sanctification is not a one-time thing. Sanctification is a process that is long and messy and goes throughout a Christian person's life where God makes them more and more like Jesus. So sanctification is the process that God makes by which God makes you more like Jesus. And it is no matter what anyone tells you, it is never completed in this lifetime. It is only completed one day when we're with Jesus in glory. So there's three things I want us to see about sanctification. There's an outline in the bulletin. Again, pretend to look at it because um, I feel insecure about it. And uh, as it says, sanctification is all about three things. Sanctification is all about grace. Sanctification is all about abiding, and sanctification is all about joy. So sanctification is all about grace. Some people, if you talk to them about what it means to be a Christian or what it means to know Jesus, they would freely say, look, the way you get in is by Jesus' grace. Jesus saves you from your sin. He gives it to you as a gift. And then it's almost as if they believe that what happens after that is sort of up to you. You can choose to grow and change and be a real on-fire Christian, or you can choose to not do that, and then you're sort of some lower-level 
Christian, right? But regardless, the growing part, the changing part is, is up to you. And that could not be farther from the truth. Look in verse 1 in our passage. Uh, it says that Jesus says, I'm the vine and my Father is the vine dresser. God the Father is this, is this person that's taking care of this vine. And something that a vine dresser will do is he'll take different branches and graft them in to a vine. Um, often, I, I, I got this from a guy named Sinclair Ferguson. I listened to him preach on this, and it was really helped me understand. Um, when the New Testament, when the Bible talks about believing in Jesus, okay, um, I don't know what you would say believing in Jesus is or looks like, but when the Bible talks about believing in Jesus, it uses a word in Greek that kind of sounds like believing into Jesus. Not just believing that Jesus is there mentally, but believing into, in some sense, being united with Jesus. There's more than just a, a belief that there is a uniting going on. And so the picture here of the Father is that he's taking you as a wild branch and he brings you to this vine. Have you guys ever seen a vine in a vineyard? I know Jonathan has. We've had many vine talks. Um, but it really, the, a vine, that was extraneous, um, a vine looks like a small tree trunk coming out of the ground. You know, it's like, like this big around, and it comes up like maybe this high. And then it splits off into two branches, and it puts up all these shoots, and they put out grapes. And so what the image here of us is that, that God the Father has taken us, a wild branch, and he has grafted us, and he's made us part of, of Jesus, of this vine. So God is the one that puts us in the vine in the first place. But look at verse 5. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. There is no sense that you will grow or can grow in Jesus unless you are united to him. He's the life force. He is the one that takes responsibility for your growth and change. And he is the one that gives you all of the resources to do it. Our growth, our sanctification is a gift from God. When I say the word grace, it's all about grace. I want you to think gift, a free gift. Our sanctification is not something that we do, or it's something that you do if you belong to Jesus. Okay? Hear me say that. Your sanctification is not something that you do. Your sanctification is something that God does that he invites you to be part of. Okay? He gives you a role and asks you to do things, but it's still his work by his grace. Um, my daughters, we, okay, since we've had a third kid, which means that we are just totally losers at life right now. Not because we had a kid, but, you know, in, as a result of having another kid. And um, you're not a loser if you have three children. Um, I'm just a loser and have three children. And uh, so basically what most days look like is relegating our two older daughters to the basement. And it's just like, y'all just do whatever you need to do down there. And don't hurt each other or kill each other. Um, because my wife is trying to keep her sanity. But sometimes we have students over in the basement. And it's like a legitimate disaster. Um, and so often when I go to clean it up, I'll ask my daughters to help me, okay? I invite them to be part of this work of cleaning the basement. I mean, they made the mess, so they should be part of it, right? But I can be honest with you, a four-year-old and a two-year-old cleaning um, is a disaster. Uh, they often are making more of a mess than they are helping clean up, right? But I'm still involving them in the process, even as they kind of screw things up. Sometimes they're helpful, sometimes. Uh, most of the time they make a bigger mess, but I've invited them to be part 
of this work. And that's what God does for us in our sanctification. He is taking control. He is the one that's going to change us. But he calls us to be part of it. And so what is it that he calls us to do? That's the second point. Sanctification is all about abiding. You guys use that word very often? Like abide? Like I abide here. Maybe, probably the only thing I can think of besides the Bible that uses this word is the Big Lebowski. Have any of you seen the Big Lebowski? Okay, it's a great movie. Um, but there's naked people in it, so don't go tell someone that I told you to watch it because I didn't. Um, but in, in the Lebowski, in the Big Lebowski, the dude, you know, what does the dude do? The dude abides, you know. And what does that mean? It just means that the dude just is, man. You know, he just is like he just he's just there. He's living the chill life. You know, he's he's just there. Abiding is just being there, being part of it. Jesus is calling us over and over again in this passage. You see this word again, abide, 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 is to abide in him, to be in him, to find your rest in him, to find your home in him. I know home is really for some of you guys, home is like this idea that you're like, I don't really know what that is. I moved around a ton as a kid. Um, for some of you, home is very, very important and serious. And I, I know this because I know some of you guys, your parents have moved out of your childhood home since you've been in college. And I've seen you had this heartbreak over, over this place that was your home. But what is your relationship with your home like? It's very important, right? But what do you do with your home? You abide in your home. There's no sense of doing anything. You're just there. You're part of it. You belong to it. And this command that Jesus gives us to abide in him is a classic Bible command. I don't know what you think the commandments are like in the scripture, but they very often sound like this. You are already united to Jesus. You live in him. He is your home. Now, go abide in Jesus. You get what I'm saying? Like, this is already true. You're, you're united with Christ. Now, go be united with Christ. This is a cl- and this happens all the time. We just don't realize it. Like, I could say, you are part of the Appalachian family, okay? You're all mountaineers, except for those of you from Trinity. Maybe one day, if you're lucky. Um, you'll be a mountaineer. Um, but you are part of the Appalachian family. Now, go be part of the Appalachian family, right? Like, I am Sarah Jane's husband. Now go be Sarah Jane's husband. You see how that works. It's something that's true, but something we're called to be doing. So we're called to abide in Jesus. But if you were reading along, abiding in Jesus sounds really scary. Because abiding with, like, God, it seems very intent on, like, cutting off large parts of the vine, right? Um, So if you read through there, he's saying if 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 a... branch doesn't bear fruit he he cuts it off and if if a branch does bear fruit he he prunes it um these these passages really mess us up especially those of you that grew up christians and had this sort of like christian guilt complex because you read this thing it's like any branch that doesn't bear fruit and you're like oh no um i'm gonna get cut off i'm not part of the you know i'm not actually a believer and you know there's a sense that like it's a good reality check because the reality is from what Jesus is saying is there are people that would identify themselves as being part of Jesus's thing, you know, 
going to RUF, being part of a church, maybe speaking the lingo or whatever, that do not know Jesus and are not abiding in him. And God says, I'm going to cut them off. Okay, They're not part of us anyway. But even if you are abiding in Jesus, he's going to do some pretty invasive plant surgery. Um, so it's, it's every, every, in verse 2, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. When I was trying to figure out had, trying to figure out any idea of what pruning a vine looked like, because I don't know if I look like I can prune vines, but I can't, and I assure you. And um, so I went to the source, and I looked at like five YouTube videos of people um, pruning vines. Very few people laughed at that, which lets me know that when you want to know how to do something, you go to YouTube, which is pretty good. Um, so I went, and what surprised me, so, you know, there's this trunk that's coming out of the ground, and there's these two branches, and there's literally dozens of shoots that are going up, right? They're usually kind of on a fence. And when, when the guy comes along to prune the vine, I'm like, okay, he's going to take off a couple of, like, bad parts. Like, they come in, and they cut off everything. Like, dozens and dozens and dozens of shoots that go up. They cut all of them off until the only thing that's left is two tiny new shoots that are coming out from the vine. And the ground is just covered with parts that have been cut off. And... The reason why they do that is if they don't do that, it will not yield good grapes. I saw a guy saying, you could cut less, but I wouldn't make good wine out of it. So it's scary, right? It's like, if I abide in Jesus, he's going to invade my life and cut parts of me off. But what does this abiding look like? Look in verse 9 with me. It's scary, but Jesus says, look, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. What does it mean to abide in Jesus' love? God bless you. Um, what is happening here? I, I know we just kind of picked up sort of in the middle of John. But Jesus is talking to his best friends. And the next thing that's about to happen is that he's about to be arrested and beaten and crucified. That's literally the next thing that's about to happen to Jesus. And when that happens... This is what's going on. God the Father is a vine dresser. And he's taking Jesus to the cross. And at the cross, he is going to pull out his pruning knife. And he is going to cut Jesus back. Jesus is about to go to the cross. And on that cross, he's cutting Jesus off from him. For the express purpose of Jesus bearing fruit. And you know what the fruit that Jesus was going to bear is? You, if you trust Jesus. If you know Jesus, Jesus was cut by the Father's pruning knife so that he could bear much fruit in us. Jesus was crushed on the cross so that we could be healed. And that healing is available to everyone in this room tonight if they turn to Jesus But abiding in Jesus' love means finding your refuge and your strength in that moment of love. Of Christ on the cross being pruned for you. It's finding your hope day by day in that moment. It is looking at his moment of greatest love shown to us on the cross. That's what it means to abide in Jesus' love, to let that love permeate everything that you do. 
Now, Jesus tells us to keep his commandments in, in verse 10, that, that we should live the way that he tells us to live, and that that's going to give us joy. And that's the last point. Sanctification is all about joy. Um, but you might be here tonight, and you're like, you know, like, I'm, I'm rolling with you. God loves me. Jesus sacrificed. Great. But this is the part where I start to get a little bit weird about God because I thought he loved me, and now he just wants to tell me all this stuff to do, right? He wants to tell me my life isn't right. I got to do things differently. I got to change the way I live. I got to stop doing this thing I like doing. I got to do this other thing that I don't like doing. I don't like that. And this is maybe this is maybe this is where Jesus loses you. Um, but let me ask, ask you a question. If that's you, and I'm not assuming that it's you, but maybe it is. If you want to have a love relationship with somebody, if you never allowed them to contradict you. Would that be a love relationship? Um, I, I was listening to Tim Keller talk about this. He's another pastor in our denomination. And he's, you know this movie, Stepford Wives? Have you ever seen it? You guys familiar with it? It's basically a bunch of guys. They have wives, and they get tired of their wives, like, harassing them and telling them what to do all the time. So they basically replace them with robotic wives, right? Who this, Every time they do something, like, yes, honey, that's wonderful, honey, that's great, honey. Um, that's not a love relationship. I don't know what your relationships look like, your dating relationships or your relationships with your parents or with your friends. But if someone isn't free to contradict you and tell you that something about you needs to change, it's not love. And so God wants to love us and bring us into a relationship with him. And that relationship is about joy. His whole work of sanctification, this whole thing that we're talking about tonight, this whole thing he's doing, it's supposed to bring about joy. In us. Obeying Jesus brings about joy. Um, again, if you, if you are a believer and you have been for any amount of time, you probably think that sanctification or holiness or obedience or whatever it is you want to call it, change, growth, is primarily about what you do. It's about I'm doing these things, I need to stop doing these things. And I'm not doing these things, and I need to start doing these things. And we think that our sanctification is primarily about our behavior. But can I tell you something? God is not primarily concerned with your behavior. He's not primarily concerned with modifying your behavior. This is why God doesn't use guilt in the Bible to motivate you to do something. Because guilt is a wonderful motivator. I guilt trip my children, they'll do what I ask them to do because they feel bad. God is after something bigger. He is primarily concerned with changing your heart so that you will bear fruit, so that you will have joy in Jesus and you will bear fruit. Jesus said this. He said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What you do is determined by what is in your heart. We have a, um, some of you have seen a leak in our basement ceiling from a shower above it. And we've had a lot of trouble trying to figure out where the leak's coming from, fixing stuff. But it made this huge, nasty, like, black spot on the ceiling in the basement, right? And so we cut it out. Now, what we could do is we could just put in new sheetrock and paint it, and it'll look okay for a while, right? We could change the sort of external. But, of course, the problem would come back, and it would come back again and again and again until we got to what the problem was, the real problem, and fix the root problem. And when I say God is going after your heart, and not necessarily primarily your behavior. I mean, he's going after the leak. He's going after the mold. And then he'll fix what's on the outside. Um, 
I know that, this, that a lot of you feel this way, that you think that your behavior is what needs to change mostly, because I talk to you, and when you sin, you do something that you shouldn't do. Okay, just imagine whatever that thing is that's first thing that comes to your mind. And you feel, like, really upset about it. Okay, you heard someone say, I did this today, and she forgave me, but I still feel terrible. Um, uh, you do something that you, you thought, okay, I, I shouldn't do this, and you feel bad about it. And when you begin to feel weird about it, and you're like, Jesus shouldn't love me, this whole thing, you think that something wrong is happening. You're like, wait, 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 wait this is wrong, this is bad. And you come talk to me, and you're freaking out. Like, I, okay, I messed up, but like, I just, I'm overwhelmed by this feeling. And you think that when you see your sin and it scares you, that like, this is a wrong thing, this shouldn't be happening, this is supposed to go away. But when, in fact, God is very much at work in that moment. Because what he's doing is he's showing you the mold. He's showing you the leak. He's taking you there, and it's very intrusive. He's pruning you, and it hurts very, very much. But here's the secret. What he's doing is that he's showing you your sin and the things that you do that are so messed up so that you will turn away from that and depend on Jesus. So that you really will look at Jesus and go, I have no business being involved with you because I'm a mess, and I really need saving. Um. When a friend calls you out, and they're like, look, you, you are a terrible friend. Um, or, you know, it happens. Um, or when the person that you've been living for rejects you, and they leave you, and it hurts. Or when the experience that you knew was going to make you happy, finally, fails to do that, and you feel hollow and empty You feel like something wrong is happening. But God is at work. He's making you more dependent on Jesus. And here's the rub. The more dependent upon Jesus that you are, the more joy you will have and the more fruit you will bear. Um, Because look, if if you know you need Jesus, you will love him. And if you love somebody, you will give them all your effort. And it won't feel like anything. You guys know um, I love Frozen. Um, And that's not a joke. Um, I love Frozen. My children watch Frozen two to three times a week because I feel like we're doing a Bible study two to three times a week when they watch Frozen. Because to me, I just, I watch Frozen, I'm like, it's the gospel. This is the good news. Um, Maybe you don't see it that way. But it's okay. It's okay for you to be wrong. Um, but what I love about Frozen is, is Elsa. Because Elsa is messed up. Okay? Okay? Um, Elsa has problems. And Elsa shows us the two ways that we respond to our sin. Okay? Bringing this in for a landing with the Frozen thing. At first, how does Elsa respond to, to her powers? Conceal. Don't feel. Put on a show. Right. Make one wrong move and everyone will know. Um, So she tries to conceal her sin, right? She wears the gloves. She stays in her room. She separates herself from her family. She literally alienates herself 
in shame and fear, pretending that it doesn't exist, and it does not work because she's alienated from everyone, she's unhappy, and it results in fear, frustration, shame, and she still has no control over it, right? She, she, she can't keep it, keep it in. But then she... Let it go. Let's it go. Thank you, Silas. Mm. Praise, praise. Thank you, Silas. You were just waiting for that moment. Um, she lets it go, right? This is what the song Let It Go is about if you've never seen the movie. Um, and if you've never seen the movie, come to my house and let's watch it. Um, but she, she gives in, right? Before she was concealing it, don't feel it, pretend it doesn't exist put it away, lock it away. She can't control it. So finally she just gives into it, right? And she does all this beautiful, amazing stuff, right? She's happy. She's, I'm free. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. And she lets her hair down that sweet braid. And, uh, and she builds this ice tower and it's awesome. But it's a temporary pleasure because she t- continues to alienate and hurt the people that she loves. And she's unhappy and she's alone, alienated, frustrated, and ashamed, by giving into her sin. And that's how we respond in one, of, in one of those two ways. We either try to pretend it doesn't exist, conceal it, put on a show, or just give into it and pretend it's not a big deal. We alienate everyone and we, we bring shame on ourselves. But the thing that changes Elsa is that her sister, in a moment where, she, you know, so she's on the lake, it's frozen, Kristoff is running to her, and her sister's about to be struck down. She chooses not the love of a guy, but to sacrifice herself for her sister. Right? And this is the act of true love, right? This is the act that melts a frozen heart. But what I always think is the most beautiful thing about Frozen is that her powers don't like go away. Like the sin, people are asking me, like, why is Frozen about the gospel? I'm like, it's an act of sacrificial love and it breaks the curse, man. Come on. Um, but uh, her powers don't go away. She is the same person, right? With the same personality and the same gifts. But suddenly she can control them and use them, right? Olaf is melting. She makes a little personal flurry for him. They're all, they're all ice skating. She has the power and strength to control her destructive tendencies. Why? Because of love. Because she recognized that she was trying to control her life by fear. Some of y'all are so afraid of sinning um, that you just can't trust Jesus with it. And you're so busy trying to control it. Um, But Elsa gives way to love. I don't know how you tend, which way you tend on that. To just sort of give in and pretend it's not a big deal or to try and conceal it. But let me ask you, how is that working for you? Are you just seeing like huge strides and change in your life? Every failure, I had it today. Um, every roommate fiasco, every unreconciled relationship that you're like, I just really just want to ignore it and, and for it to go away, is an opportunity to you, for you to see yourself as you are and cling to Jesus. And let me tell you something. Every act of obedience to Jesus, every time that you say, Jesus, he says you're going to abide in my word, every time I, I I'm like, this doesn't feel right, but I'm going to do this thing that you said to do, or I'm going to stay away from this thing that you said away from. Jesus takes joy in that. Simple acts of obedience bring Jesus joy. Did you know that Jesus finds joy in changing and growing you and bearing fruit in you? You can change and grow. 
by abiding in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have called us to yourself and you have made us yours and that you have promised to make us new. Um, Father, we are weighed down. Um, We feel like we may never change. We feel like we may never have victory over the things that plague us. We don't know how to live, what's right and what's wrong. Yet, you, O Lord, would you be kind to us and grow us by your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.